Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 35 through 45 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back there. Uh, make sure you grab one. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have the Word of God in your hands. As you turn there, let me uh, review from last week. So last week, we looked at three short yet staggering verses. Jesus predicted his suffering, his death, his resurrection for the third and for the final time. Unfortunately, though, the 12 disciples, they missed that again. They missed the fact that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy right before their eyes. And we discussed how the 12, they knew the Old Testament, they were taught the Old Testament, but because their teachers, these Pharisees and these scribes, they had misinterpreted they had misapplied Scripture, so they didn't really understand. They didn't grasp the reality that Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 were all about to be fulfilled right before their very eyes. And even though the disciples, they didn't understand Jesus at that time, they did one thing right, and they trusted in Jesus. They, they didn't understand Jesus, but they still trusted in Jesus. So the 12 clearly didn't understand Jesus perfectly, but they did trust him increasingly. And that was one of our key points from last week, is that you don't have to trust God perfectly, but you can trust him increasingly. And it's evident from today's narrative as we get into it that the 12, they did not understand what was going on. They didn't understand that Jesus really did mean, he wasn't being hyperbolic when he said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to, be, um, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried for three days, and I'm going to walk out of my own grave. And we learn this from the Gospel of Luke in 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 34. Luke says this, the twelve understood none of these things, the meaning of the saying, it was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So not only did the 12 not understand what Jesus was teaching, they also misinterpret his teaching. They, they heard the part about going up to Jerusalem, and they assumed that Jesus was going to be crowned king. And that, it was that thought right there that triggered something for the disciples. They get ambitious. Jesus has already had several conversations about pride and ambition with the 12, but the twelve's pride continues to manifest its ugly head all the way through the, through the night of the Last Supper. So our topic for today is ambition. And uh, before we get started, I have a confession that I, I want to make here. This particular scripture passage has brought up a lot of stuff over the past 12 to 18 months for me. Talking about pride, ambition 
painful memories of COVID. And we, just like every other church, we have been through a, we've been through it, haven't we? We've been through a tremendous amount of, of pain and fighting and gossip and slander, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, over the past 18 months, just like every other church. Um, there's no doubt that the Lord Jesus has used COVID to shake up his church, and he has shook it hard. He has pruned it back, and you look, you know, you look at the vine, and you go, well, the vine's dead. It's not dead. It's not dead, and because we've seen the Lord bring momentum back to the local church here in the Verde Valley, not just here at River, but all my other pastoral colleagues, Pastor Jeremy, and Pastor Jim, and Pastor Frank, Pastor Randy, Pastor Rob. We're seeing God do something here in the Verde Valley. It's, it's really cool. So as we go through our text today, though, I'm going to give some lessons from COVID, because I don't know about you guys. But uh, I don't want to go through that drama again. Do you? No, I, I don't want to either. And I, and I want us to learn some things from that. So the Lord Jesus, he's, he's going to show us here that he does not favor an ambitious church. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach us prayerfully today the, uh, the ugliness of, of personal ambition. Why is that? Well, it may seem obvious, but... Uh, let's dive deep into God's Word and find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 and following. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they approached Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you? And they answered, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said, oh, you guys, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said, we are able, verse 39, we are able. And Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left, that's not mine to give. Instead, it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 disciples heard about this, they began to be indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Those in high positions, they act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." These are the very words from God for us this morning. Please pray with me. Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to gather on the best day of the week, allowing us to worship you on the best time of the day, and that is when your church gathers to sing praises to your holy name. And now, Lord God, we get to open up your word. We get to see what you have for us today. 
Lord, teach us about the ugliness of ambition and pride and how that has no place in your house. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. So verse 35 here, let's take a deeper look. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they approached Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever it is we ask you to do. Oh boy, here we go. Jesus gave the nickname the sons of thunder to James and John. So these two men are brothers. And you don't get a nickname from Jesus like the sons of thunder because you're quiet and you're nice. These two guys, they wanted to call down lightning from heaven and burn down the whole city of Samaria. So needless to say, these are not the most compassionate men. James and John, they're brash, they're arrogant. These are bold men. They are inside the inner circle of the disciples. We've got Peter and then James and John. That did not help with their lack of humility. They had a privileged position in the 12, and they knew that. The other two brothers, they also thought the same thing, Peter and Andrew. So these four men, they considered themselves superior or special to the other to the others now according to mark's uh, excuse me matthew's gospel james and john were accompanied by their mother when they approached jesus more than likely now this is not an accident either uh, more than likely james and john's mother was salome uh, salome she was probably the sister of mary the mother of jesus which makes salome Jesus' aunt, all right? So it's very easy to see what's going on here, right? James and John brought their mommy to play the family card. And they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever it is we, we ask you to do. So what kind of question is that, first and foremost? That's a pretty childish question. I mean, how many of you parents or grandparents... Um, have experienced that with your own children or grandchildren. They're using the same tactic. I mean, no parent in their right mind is going to, to say yes to that before he knows what he's saying yes to. Now, secondly, we're also going to see the worldview of, of the disciples here. Because this kind of question, it represents the world. Ancient rulers, what they did is they did exactly that. They used this kind of practice to elevate family members all around them. And we see, or we saw, a glimpse of this with Herod Antipas with his stepdaughter at his birthday party back in Mark chapter 6. Um, the stepdaughter does this sexual, perverted dance in front of everyone, and Herod says, hey, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. So we, we see a little bit of this worldview being mixed in. But let's see how Jesus responds here in verse 36. He says, what do you want me to do for you? So Jesus doesn't play their worldly game of nepotism here. He cuts right to the chase. Matthew's gospel says that Salome knelt down to ask. Hmm. Verse 37. Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. So their answer, it really shows that they assume that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem to set up an earthly kingdom. 
they still did not understand that he truly was going to die and to be buried and be resurrected, even though Jesus told them three times. So what, what's going on here? Their ambitiousness, it blinded them to that reality. So key point number one, ambitious people ask audacious questions. Ambitious people ask audacious questions. I mean, think about the timing of this question. Jesus just told them, his best friends, that he's about to be mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. And, oh, by the way, guys, I'm going to walk out of my own grave three days later to prove to you that I'm God. But see, ambitious people, they only hear what they want to hear. James and John, they're not focused on Jesus. They're only thinking of themselves. They want to be honored. They want to be exalted. They want to sit at Jesus' right and left. That is a picture of honor. The right side was the highest position. The second highest is the left. James and John, they they caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory during the, the transfiguration. And they wanted some of that for themselves. Now, this question's interesting because it's apparent that James and John thought that Jesus would say yes, especially with their mommy there. Think about it. This is, Jesus is put in a situation. This is Jesus's aunt. I mean, after all, James and John, these guys are big shots. They were the first two disciples to be called. They're members of the inner circle. These these guys were there with Peter when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. All the other disciples, they were outside. So Peter, James, and John, they were handpicked. Think about this. Handpicked by Jesus to see one of the greatest spectacles in Jesus' ministry, which is the transfiguration. Only three people got to see that. And it was them. So they thought that this was a done deal. They thought that they're special. Well, unfortunately, they're not special. They're deeply mistaken. All this question did was display their spiritual immaturity. So key point number two. James and John, they are different, but they're not special. James and John, they are different, but not special. Here's what I mean by that. James and John are apostles. They they have a very specific role as apostles. They have apostolic authority. However, they are still men, and they are very flawed men. They are sinners just like you and I. So they they are different, but they are not special. Verse 37. They say, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. So James and John, they still misinterpret what's going on here for Jesus to be the Messiah. They're still thinking in worldly terms. James and John, they are, they are both deceived and ambitious at the same time. Dear friends, that's a recipe for disaster. Their motivation in asking this audacious question really at the heart of it, they want to replace the power structure of Rome with themselves because they think that they can rule better. 
The problem, however, is that from an earthly perspective, nothing ever changes when it comes to power, except the names of the rulers themselves. So you have worldly rulers that produce more worldly rulers, and earthly power, all it does is get recycled. You have tyrants who just produce more tyrants. I mean, that that may work on earth, but it doesn't work in heaven. So the disciples here, they still don't get the fact that Jesus' kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. And they're going to find out very, very soon here that the places of honor that they want, Jesus' right and his left, they're, they're occupied by two criminals that are already crucified with him, or soon will be crucified. Mark chapter 15, verse 27 says, They crucified two criminals with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Now, the fascinating thing about verse 27 is that this is the only other place in the gospel where Mark uses this phrase to his right and to his left. So key point number three, Jesus's glory is Jesus's cross. Jesus's glory is Jesus's cross. So the apostles, they want glory. Well, this is what it looks like. This is why the apostle Paul said, you know, the only thing I'm worried about or I'm going to do is to preach Christ crucified. That's why we do that here at River Bible Church as well. It's the only thing that matters. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? So Jesus knows that these guys are clueless in asking this question. Why didn't they get it? I mean, after all this time, why don't they comprehend that suffering and sacrifice is the path to God's glory? Well, brings us to key point number four. The disciples wanted the rewards without the cost. The disciples wanted the rewards without the cost. The disciples are like soldiers who want the parade, but they never went to war. So Jesus repeats himself here like a broken record over and over and over again. This time he uses two metaphors, though. He uses a cup and a baptism. He says, you don't know what you're asking. So they ask this question in ignorance. Jesus responds with a question based in reality. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? So in the Old Testament, the cup is sometimes a symbol of joy. The psalmist writes in in chapter Uh, 116 verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So that's a cup we want to drink. Most of the time, however, the cup in the Old Testament, it represents suffering. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17, Isaiah says, wake yourself, wake yourself up, stand up Jerusalem, you who have drunk the cup of his fury from the Lord's hand. We do not want that cup. So the way to know if the cup refers to joy or suffering is the context of what we're talking about. So let's take a look here. Verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So we see here drinking this cup is not going to be pleasant. 
And we know this to be true because as we fast forward into the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus says, Abba, Father. He says, Daddy, Daddy. Papa. He says, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup away from me. Think about this, guys. The Son of Man, the Son of God is praying to God the Father, and he says, I don't want to go through with this. I don't want to do this. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, doesn't matter what I want. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So we're seeing here that this cup, it contains the fury and the righteous wrath of punishment and judgment for our sin. So back to verse 38, Jesus says, are you able to drink this cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? The sense here in verse 38, it indicates that Jesus is talking about a continuous drinking. This is not a a one-time event. There's a very good chance here that Jesus meant that he was already drinking from this cup. There's a very good chance of that. I mean, think about it. Almighty God, he stepped down off his throne in heaven. He humiliates himself to become a man for the sole purpose of saving our wretched souls. So Jesus continues now with his analogy. He says, or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Literally, are you able to be immersed with the immersion that I am about to be immersed. Baptizo, it means immersion. So in other words, are you able to be flooded? Are you able to be overwhelmed with God's fury on human sin? Jesus will not be sprinkled with with just a tiny bit of suffering here. Jesus must be submerged in it. Jesus will experience the total and the complete fullness and fury of God's wrath on human sin. That's what's going on here. Now, why? Why must Jesus go through this? Well, because sin must be judged, and God's wrath and his fury is that judgment. Dear friends, our sin is that serious. This is what Jesus meant when he says, you guys have no idea what you're asking. They had no idea that sharing in God's glory It meant first sharing in God's judgment. So, pause. You look at a verse like this and you go, wow, aren't you glad that God says no to most of my prayers, especially my self-centered prayers? Because just like the disciples, we don't know what we're asking for either, do we? Now, I'm not sure if if this was supposed to be a rhetorical question from Jesus, maybe. If it's not a rhetorical question, it's a question to where it demands a negative answer at the very most. So despite their self-confidence, the disciples cannot drink this cup. It's physically, it's spiritually impossible for them to do this. No one else can undergo this fate, this destiny that God the Father has, that only Jesus must fulfill. 
Jesus is the only one who can drink this cup because he's the son of man. Meaning that he is perfectly obedient. Jesus never sinned. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. He's the one that takes away the sin of the world. But he's not just the son of man. He's the son of God. Meaning he is the anointed one. He's the chosen. He is the Messiah. See, God had to become a man because man sinned. Therefore, man must pay for that sin. And if God is the only one who can forgive sins, then it's necessary that Jesus make that sacrifice because he is both God and man. He's the only one who can make it. He's the only one that can offer this gift of salvation. That's why Jesus says, look, guys, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the mediator between God and man, the perfect Son of Man and Son of God. Amazing. Well, James and John, they will have a different cup to drink. We're going to see that in a moment. But for the, for the time being, this would have been a really Good time for them to zip, zip it. But you know what? They've been hanging around Peter. So verse 39, yeah, we're able. We can do this. Can't you just picture James nudging John? You think we can do this, bro? Oh, yeah, yeah, we can totally do this. Mm Mm-hmm. The good news here is that their answer, it, it really does. It proves their loyalty to Jesus as a rabbi. The bad news is that James and John, they are so ambitious that their ambitiousness, it blinds them from the truth. They are just as deceived as the rich young ruler, believing that he had what it takes to get himself into heaven too. James and John, they sincerely believe here that if they would just endure a little hardship, just a little suffering, that Jesus will give them a seat at the right and the left. These guys thought they were smart and strong and committed enough to do what, uh, what it took, just like the rich young ruler. But it's only Jesus who knows that these men standing in front of him, they will betray him, they will abandon him at the first sign of trouble. And that means that Jesus has to drink this cup and be baptized by the wrath of God by himself. Verse 39, Jesus said to them, all right, guys, well, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left, that's not mine to give. Instead, it's for those for whom it has been prepared. So Jesus doesn't scold. He doesn't rebuke James and John here. He simply tells them something they don't want to hear. How many times have you prayed something and the Lord answers you through the word of God or through someone and you're like, oh, that's not what I'm praying. No, that's not what I was expecting. That's that's what happened here. In other words, Jesus is saying, you guys will suffer. You will. And oh, by the way, I'm not in charge of the seating arrangements. Those two seats, they already have the RSVPs on them. And they did suffer, didn't they? 
James. He was the first one to be murdered for the faith. He was the first martyr. He was executed by Herod Agrippa I. John, on the other hand, he would be the last of the apostles to die. He was on an island called Patmos. It was a prison island. Jesus goes on to say, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So this statement is a, it's a theological term. We talked about this last week. It's called a divine passive to where scripture refers to God without using God's name. So what Jesus is saying is, look, God, it's God the Father. He's already predestined these places. And that decision has been settled from eternity past. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that verse. Verse 40 is so encouraging for this reason. is because it shows us that God's plan cannot be blocked. God's plan cannot be derailed. God's plan cannot be thwarted in any way. And yet, at the very same time, God's plan cannot be fully interpreted by us. It cannot be fully understood or even comprehended by a sinful mankind. God's perfect will, that's like trying to teach astrophysics to a herd of javelina. It just is not going to happen, is it? Mark chapter 10, verse 41. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Oh, boy. So here we see the signs of a dysfunctional church. So evidently, James and John and their mommy did this alone away from the other ten. All of a sudden, the rumor mill starts. Did you hear what James said to Jesus? Can you believe John had the audacity to do that? They brought their mommy. The rumor mill starts. And before you know it, the whole church is upset with one another. Why? Are they mad because Jesus told them that he was walking to his death? No. They're angry. The other 10 are angry because they, because James and John beat them to the punch. Yeah. Key point number five, the disciples would rather bear a grudge than bear a cross. The disciples would bear a grudge, would rather bear a grudge than bear a cross. Somehow, some way, the other 10, they think that they, they don't have a, a place to sit in the kingdom of God now, right? Those other two have been taken, and they are wrong. So verse 42, Jesus sees the gossip. He sees the slander. He sees the murmuring. He sees the dysfunction. He goes, all right, come here. Come here. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord that over them. And those in high position, they, they act as tyrants over them. So the fact that Jesus calls everyone together here, it's another teachable moment for the 12. It, it proves that they all struggled with ambition. Jesus says, look guys, you know that the whole world is run by tyrants. These people are insane. They flaunt their authority. They exploit other people. The kingdom of God is not like that. 
It's not even close. Jesus says they lord it over, right? They misuse their power. So in other words, worldly leaders, they have no sense of responsibility. They have no willingness to serve anyone but themselves. It's just a good thing we live in the United States of America in the 21st century. We don't have that problem. It's a good thing today's church doesn't have to deal with this issue either. <laughs> you guys smell something? I smell I smell sarcasm. Verse 43, it's not so among you. Jesus says, it is not so among you. Whoever wants to become great, you guys want to be great, you got to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first, oh, if you want to be first, listen to this. You got to be a slave. Jesus speaks loud and clear to his church. So that means Jesus is speaking loud and clear to us this morning at River Bible Church. Jesus is saying, look, guys, that may be the world's way, but that's not my way. I'm not going to put up with any of that nonsense in my house. It's not going to happen. So here we see a cataclysmic crash, right, between the world and God's word. And Jesus says when it comes to power, you are to use your power to serve others. The word servant there, it literally is a picture of a waiter. You're serving someone as a waiter, slave, doulos. You are legally owned by God because a slave's purpose was was predetermined by his master. Now let's pause for a second. Because if we're really honest with ourselves this morning, we'll admit we don't like this. That was a great place for an amen. And y'all just leave me hanging up here all the time. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) I mean, can we confess that? Can we confess the fact that we prefer to be served rather than to serve? And here's the deal. Jesus will have none of it. Why? Why will he have none of that in his church? Verse 45. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Circle this in your Bible, even. For even God himself, who came from heaven to become a man to serve a sinful mankind. Jesus sets the highest example for service Therefore, he will receive the highest honor. He says a ransom. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. A ransom, it's it's a price to be paid to release someone from something. So in this case, Jesus releases mankind from our addiction and our bondage to sin. Jesus views mankind as a prisoner of sin. 
we, we're all in bondage to sin. And as a prisoner of sin, we're not capable of freeing ourselves from sin's power. It's impossible. That's why we say that Jesus died a substitutionary death, meaning that Jesus took our place. Jesus paid the price for our sin. And the reason that he did that is because we are beyond help. We are beyond hope to do that for ourselves. I love to go into bookstores. And one of the things that cracks me up is that self-help section in the bookstore. The self-help section in the bookstore does you no good when it comes to this. Because man cannot help another man get to heaven. You got to have God who comes from heaven to become a man. To die a substitutionary death for our sins. And now he sits. He went back up to heaven where he came from. Jesus paid it all. His very name, think about this, guys. His very name, Jesus Christ. It means God saves by God's anointed. Jesus, it means God saves the Christ by God's anointed. So it's in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that his death and his satisfaction, that God's wrath for sin is satisfied. And not only that, But Jesus also fulfilled the demands of justice. So in other words, we've all broken God's law, and Jesus satisfied that debt with his perfect life. So just as an earthly judge, a decent judge, earthly judge, a wise earthly judge, a good earthly judge is not going to let a criminal off and go scot-free. How much more God the Father? And Jesus died for the many. Jesus died for the many. Jesus' sacrifice, it extends to anyone who will accept it. Scripture tells us that if you confess your sins with your mouth, you believe that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And it's called grace. Grace is a gift that none of us deserve. And that brings us to key point number six. God's grace is an eternal gift that will cost you everything in this temporary life. God's grace is an eternal gift that will cost you everything in this temporary life. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that this was an especially tough text for me, this topic of pride and ambitiousness for this past week. And just so you know, every every week is tough because I've got to do my business with God before I'm able to, to teach you. But this week was um, was a little bit different. The reason for that was because of COVID and and how God really used that as an instrument to push people to their very limits. The world has always been filled with ambitious people. The world measures greatness by ambitious people, but not the church. So for those of you who call River home, let me speak directly to you. The church defines success through faithfulness. 
pandemic, no pandemic, we are to remain faithful. And our, our road is a road of obedience, no matter the cost, no matter the cost to me. This past year has been a has been really ugly for the church, the overall church, every church in the world, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-believing church. And I'll speak for myself here, uh, but I know that my pastoral colleagues here in town, they went through the same thing. We all watched a, a group of people turn into James and Johns through covid I mean, we expect this in the world. We expect it in the marketplace. We, we expect it in the place where you work. People climbing over people. People stabbing people in the back. All to ascend this corporate ladder. But in the church, and please hear me, guys. In the church, there is no hierarchy. There's no hierarchy. There is no corporate ladder. We're, we're all on the same playing field. We are all equal. We're all equal. We have different gifts. And that's what makes the church beautiful. And the more diverse the gifts, the stronger the church is, as long as we're unified with that same mission. Ambitiousness in the church, it only leads to anger and hatred for the people that we say that we love. So many people are so angry over the smallest of things and we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and it was a mess. And we're still recovering from this mess. James chapter 3 verse 16, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. You know, one of the scariest things about ambition in the church is that ambition, it's, it's veiled, it's disguised under the pretense of religion. So in other words, ambition is evil, but it's portrayed as good. So let me give you an example. People dare to proclaim their ambitiousness by saying, thus says the Lord. So when someone says, well, you know, God said this and God said that. God told me to tell you this. When someone says that, it means that you can't be wrong. I mean, think about it. God told you to say that. And how dare we speak a word against the Lord's anointed, if that's what you're telling us. Even when what you're saying is contrary to Scripture. Many of you were here at what is now called the infamous church meeting last year. Y'all remember that? Yeah, I remember that too. And we saw the ambitiousness and the pride devour the room, didn't we? By God's grace, all the ambitious people are now gone, and we have a new church. The good news, it, it devoured the room, but it didn't devour the church. Amen? Because we're still here. Here's my question for you. For those of you who call River home, how do we prevent another church meeting like that? 
How do we prevent now a healthy, gospel-focused, Bible-teaching, Jesus-sharing, disciple-making church? That's us. That's what we strive to be from becoming this social, worldly club that has no purpose and no meaning other than entertaining ourselves on a Sunday morning. Let me give you three things. Number one, it takes all of us to commit and protect the church. It takes all of us to commit and protect the church. So dear friends, when you start hearing gossip, when you start hearing all the complaining and the negativity, on the negativity, shut it down. Shut it down. Number two, to love others the way Jesus loves you. We are to love others the way that Jesus loves you. Meaning love unconditionally. There are no conditions on love. And number three, to serve others with no agenda. To serve others with no agenda. So to serve sacrificially. If we do these three things, I don't think we'll have another meeting like that. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, you know, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Now, for those of you visiting today, I pray that the Holy Spirit of Almighty God spoke to you. If you're looking for a church, I pray that you find one to where you can learn and love and serve. If you're interested here at what we're doing, we invite you back to, to fellowship and have some coffee with us and, and to learn a little bit more. For those of you who don't know about Jesus, about his glorious grace, what he's done for us through the cross, we have a prayer room through the foyer and to the right, we invite you back there. Dear friends, I'm really excited what God's doing in the Verde Valley. It's good stuff. God is moving in a way that is very different than before, before COVID, right? We talk pre-COVID, post-COVID. We live in a post-COVID world. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the preacher guy standing up here before you. I am excited about what he's doing. And I, I pray that the Lord continues to speak to you this week on what your role is in the kingdom of God. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for allowing us to come and worship. Thank you for allowing us to sing these, these songs and to sing, It is well with my soul, no matter where we are in life. We can, we can sing that because we know of your promises that are based in your word. Lord, thank you for allowing us to look over our shoulder and to see the ugliness of ambition and how that will ruin a church and how it'll ruin a country, regardless of it's in the first century or the 21st century. And so, Father, we pray that, um, that we make you smile with our obedience and our faithfulness to you, to obey your word. And I pray, Lord God, that um, you continue doing 
the only thing that you can do here in the Verde Valley, and that is to change people, to give them a new heart, to love you and to love others. And lastly, Lord God, I pray that we here at River, we do our job, that we are salt, we are light, and that we share this same Jesus that has saved our wretched souls. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen.